Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at six foot five. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at BigGirlPoker.com. Hello, this is Donna Blevins, your poker mindset coach, along with Matthew Savage. And I am absolutely thrilled to have Matt with us today. And Matt, welcome. Hello, happy to be here. Uh, Let me tell you all about Matt. I have known Matt for, gosh, 12 or 14 years. I believe that we first came in contact with each other, Matt, because involved with founding the Tournament Directors Association, excuse me, Association. You were you were the founder of that, and that was your brainchild. And I think that I want to thank you for that, because that has helped be instrumental in standardizing poker tournament rules worldwide. Thank you very much for that, Matthew. No, no, thank you. It's uh, it's been great to, to to see the amount of support that we've gotten from people all over the world. So. Uh, real excited about that. I know that in uh, 2002, 04, you were the you directed the World Series of Poker. But one of the things that you are best known for is as the executive tour director of the World Poker Tour. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, back then, uh, in 2002, 2003, and 4, when I was at the World Series of Poker, things were a little different than they are today, and I, I was amazed to see how much poker has changed in the last 10 years, for sure. Well, you know, that was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Let's just go into that right now. We can come back to some of the other things. I mean, there's just so much you've done that I, we'll get back to that as we go along. But let's talk about that. From your standpoint, you know, you are one of the few people who has run so many tournaments. You're inside the tournaments, and that's a tremendous job. I don't think people have any idea what is involved with running a successful poker tournament. And I want to say to anyone who's listening, if you want a successful poker tournament, you must contact Matt Savage. And you can find him on Savage Poker. Is at Savage Poker on Twitter? Is that your Twitter account? Yeah, that's it. That's the one. So I highly recommend Matt. He knows tournaments inside and out. So, Matt, tell me from your standpoint what you have seen. How has poker changed? Give me a then and now view of poker in the world today. Well, as far as, you know, the the age, I mean, for us, you know, when I was running the World Series, it was the same two, 300 people every day. And we wouldn't get more people in until the main event. Now it's just a mass of uh, players that are coming to these events. Uh, and, you know, to be honest, they're a lot younger than us. And both of us, so it's uh, it's changed so much in that respect that you know the younger players are are doing quite well in the uh, the industry, but they're also uh, loving the game, which is good for all of us. And I think that you know there's a lot of energy infused into the game, and uh, I think that's one of the things that can keep it going uh, forward. But one of the things that I've seen more than anything is the way the betting style has changed. Much more aggression. You know, those guys back in the day when they were when they were more aggressive, the Stu Ungers and stuff, they were doing quite well then. Now it seems like all of the younger players are more aggressive. And, uh, you know, when people would make a, a minimum raise, uh, we used to laugh at them and knew that they were an amateur. Now they're doing that all the time. So I think the betting patterns have changed quite a bit. Uh, I think that's probably been the biggest change that I've seen over the years. Well, you know, interestingly enough, when I start out with my coaching clients, I basically work with people who have have – been playing poker for a while but haven't really been able to 
to cash consistently, even you know more than a few times in tournaments, and they're really frustrated. That's the the person that I seem to be able to work the best with. Someone that really wants to to commit to to working with their tournament, their tournament, and and, and learning the game from from finding what the holes are in their game. One of the things I find interestingly enough is that we we first have to get them desensitized to making larger bets before they start doing the the little two and a half x big two and a half the big blind we have to get them more more involved with being more aggressive so coming out with with bigger bets then once they're desensitized to being aggressive then back down and and look at the table you know what does it take to pick up the pots you know what can you annoy people with when you're continually betting so it's really interesting because i think people that are just learning the game if they're trying to to Two, two, two and a half uh, big blind bet. It doesn't necessarily serve them well at the very beginning if they don't have a lot of experience. What do you think about that? I agree with that. I mean, obviously, you know, when uh, you know they may be raising a lot, but uh, it takes a lot more guts when they're putting in three, four, five bets uh, pre-flop. So, I mean, those are the guys that I, I, I see very doing very well, like Vanessa Phelps and things like that. You know, those were unheard of in the past. It was always uh, raise and I'm all in. And now, you know, with the, the way the tournaments are, the deeper uh, starting stacks and things like that, I think more and more people are putting more uh, smaller bets with more raises into the pot. And I think that's uh, transcended the game quite a bit. So, what do you think the best the best tournament style? If someone is looking at taking their game to the next level, and I know that when you're running a tournament, you don't get to see a, as much as you might, but but I know that you've been able to pick up so much. What what do you think is is one of your best the best advice you can give someone who who wants to to make it in a, a long term a multi day tournament a deep stack multi day tournament how should they approach that? Uh, for me, I just think it's patience and picking your spots and you know being able to read people. I mean, I think, I think not enough of that has gone uh, into the game. I think that's a, that's a skill that's been acquired and and uh, you know I think the best people players have it. Uh, the ability to read other players, I think, is key uh, to anybody being successful in this game. Well, I'm glad to hear that because that's one of the things that, that I talk about a lot. So I'm glad to hear that I'm on uh, right on cue there, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Why do you believe – what do you believe that the players must do to keep up with the changes in the game if they're going to – they have to change the style, be more aware? Is there anything else that they can do with the changes in the game today? I think, you know, you want to pick tournaments that, uh, for me, I think tournaments that are best suited for them. You know, maybe you don't want to be jumping into tournaments that are above your playing limit. And, uh, you know, you want to pick tournaments that you think they're going to be uh, the best fields. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of game selection in cash games. I think there's a lot of game selection in tournaments as well. So, you know, the, the tournaments I'm around here running right now, there's hardly any pros at all in the field. Uh, you know, there's, and they're getting big, big numbers. So I think, uh, you know, tournament selection is also a big process uh, uh, for players. I think you need to, to pay a little attention to that as well. How did you know that was one of my questions that I had here about <laughs> game selection <laughs> in tournaments? So you're talking about finding a field where you've got a larger field but fewer pros. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if, if that's what you want to do. I mean, there's so many events out there now. now you know, there's, there's WPT national events. There's WSOP circuit events. There's a lot of events that uh, – you know, may have smaller buy-ins, but uh, uh, big fields, and I think that that's some of the best value out there. Okay, so if you're gonna if you're gonna look for something for yourself, let's say for Matt Savage, because besides being 
as far as I'm concerned, one of, if not the best tournament director in the world, and I, I'm absolutely your fan, Matt. You know, you're also an accomplished poker player. Frankly, I don't know when you've ever had time to compete, but you know, you <laughs> you've got really good wins on on the web. So, you know, what 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 would you look for when when you are looking at a tournament for you? Well, the odds I'm not the best judge of that because you know, if I'm working tournaments, I usually try and schedule them so that I would like to play in them if I was a player. But mm-hmm. I can't, unfortunately, play the events that I'm running. So sure. a lot of the events that I'm running that I would want to be a part of, I can't be a part of. So for me, it turns out that uh, the only time I'm available to play is during the summer, and that's during WSOP time. So I'm able to play some WSOP events, and uh, I enjoy doing that, and I wish I could play some more. But uh, I think, you know, bigger fields, I like the, the limit games. I like mixed games. So those are the tournaments I enjoy playing. I know that's not uh, a favorite of, of many, but uh, I think – for me, I think that's very vital that you learn other styles of poker and other games because uh, when you get to the higher games, I think that, you know, the cash games, that's what people are playing. They're playing mixed games. and not only playing no limit hold'em. So I think that's just something that uh, I enjoy and, you know, it's not for everybody, but uh, I'd like to see other players learn other games as well. What? I, I noticed that you had cashed in uh, Omaha High Low and Horse. Horse happens to be one of my favorite games. Uh, I have a little challenge with horse today because I've got to get my poker glasses changed because because those those seven card games are really tough if you if you if you're having a little problem focusing. What is your favorite game? I'd probably say Omaha Eight or better. You know, I'm a big fan of Stud Eight or better as well, but I think Omaha Eight or better for me is something that I've been playing the longest. Uh, I kind of grew up playing high low hold'em uh, in the Bay Area, but uh, graduated to Omaha, and it's just a game that I enjoy. Uh, there's a certain group of players that play all of those events. Not all of them are all the penalties, but I consider a lot of them my friends. So I uh, I think that that's something that I gravitate towards. Uh, I just think Omaha Eight or Better is, you know, my favorite game. And I think my my favorite game is also a four card game. It it actually happens to be Pot Limit Omaha High. Okay. Uh, but I, I absolutely love that game. It, it's one of the games that that petrifies you. <laughs> it's absolutely one that requires patience. If somebody's looking to learn Omaha uh, Eight or better, what uh, advice would you give them? Um, I would say, you know, it's definitely you got to you got to figure out that people think that you should be playing more hands with Omaha 8 or better. And it's actually the opposite. You should play less hands. So, I mean, you got to be looking for those hands that are premium in that game. And, you know, people make a lot of mistakes in that game. So you got to pick up on the, the mistakes that people make. Uh, and once you do that, I think you are on your way to becoming a better Omaha 8 or better player. So, uh, like I said, there's just a lot of mistakes that can be made. And uh, I think that, again, you should be playing less hands, not more. What kind of mistakes, other than playing too many hands, do you think Omaha eight or better better players generally make? Like I said, I think that you know if they're not coming in there, they don't have the wheel cards. Uh, you know, you see people with with uh, what they call danglers in their hand, and uh, for some reason, uh, if you if players see the ace deuce, they figure that that hand's been you know, golden and that they can go all the way with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be able to fold hands uh, right away if you're not making your flops. I think. Folding uh, is a very important part of uh, Omaha 8 or better. Even if you go in there with a premium starting hand, you got to be able to get rid of it right away. Oh, I, I agree with you 100%. I think fit or fold is probably the best thing to think of in, 
in that sure. particular game, I mean, it's it's important in No Limit Hold'em, but fit or fold is absolutely uh, what you have to have. What role do you believe mindset plays? Because, you know, I'm a poker mindset coach, and I talk a lot about mindset. But what role do you believe mindset plays in whether a poker player is a winner or a loser? Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. Uh, I mean, my poker mindset is, that you have to be able to accept losses. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I think there's enough people have trouble with a single loss, and you know these guys are out here grinding tournaments every day and, and cash games. You got to be able to accept the fact that you're going to lose as well as win. So you have to. I think that's a huge mindset for me. I mean, being able to handle the swings, I think, is very important. I, I think you're absolutely right because I think one of the biggest problems that people have with poker is when they have a loss, they keep they keep beating themselves up about the loss rather than finding out the lessons that they can learn from that and getting on with it rather than right. focusing on it. Because I think the more they focus on it, they just draw that to them. I mean, have you seen people that that have been going along very, very well, they've been very successful, all of a sudden they start on a streak, quote, a losing streak. It's not that the cards are out to get them because the cards have no memory. But it just seems like that they seem to go down a rabbit hole, and it seems to me that it has to do with the fact that they're they're not taking care of their bodies, they're chasing losses, you know, they expect to lose, they put themselves in situations to lose. I mean, how much of that do you see? Quite a bit. I mean, you see people all the time that uh, get up big and you say, okay, we're going to go do something, or you know, let's go have dinner and relax. No, I'm hot. I'm going to keep going, and and you know that never ends up well. Or the opposite, where they start losing and they say, well, i got to get it back. Now, those are the two extremes of things that I see, and I know a lot of professional poker players that you know people don't know that have stop limits and they have uh, set goals for themselves when they reach a certain amount. They'll get up and leave, you know, even if. And it doesn't make sense to a lot of people sitting at the table. You know, you're too hot. How can you leave? Well, that doesn't really make any sense, you know, the fact that you're too hot or too cold. You just have to have your... Uh, your stop and you have to have your win limits too i think uh it's very important that you put in the hours that you think uh are comfortable for you and you like you said do the right things uh that are going to keep you mentally sharp like sleep and eat and do the right things uh outside of poker as well mm-hmm. it, today with these hyper aggressive players because i know what when i first started playing poker on the west coast in the late 90s the the the, the clubs there uh, the Bicycle and Commerce and Hollywood Park had a lot of very aggressive players. It's probably the most aggressive players that were in the United States if you were going across the country. Uh, basically, there was more card rooms there than any place else. But today, the players are even far more aggressive. What tips do you have for playing against these hyper-aggressive players? Well, for sure. I think you generally have to pick your spots. I said it before, but I think, uh, you know, trapping. You know, you want to trap these people as much as you can. I think uh, you see it all the time when people are just super aggressive and you know that even though you have the best hand on the flop, you can still check and get away with uh, them betting, you know, and knowing that uh, in advance, you know, your table image and their table image is vital to, to you making big pots. A lot of times you see people with big hands that don't win big pots and it's because they play them wrong. And I think uh, you know, you'll see that with aggressive players. They'll make more mistakes over the run, the long run of, uh, you know, with these hyper-aggressive players. 
How do you suggest that players prepare for a, a live event? Because you see people coming into events where they're going to be, um, like in the WPT, they're two, three week, uh, two to three week events. Um, what you, four, four weeks, I think, is the longest one you're having now, aren't you? Isn't it? No, I mean our our LAPC is actually starts on January 15th and goes through May March 3rd. My so that's uh, 68 events uh, over 48 days, and uh, that is a long time. So if you're going to do that, I think you definitely need to plan a schedule. Be on top of that schedule, know what you want to play, and uh, stick to it. I mean, you know, there are so many events, and coming in and playing every single day might not be the best uh, strategy for you. You know, a lot of people jump into events that they feel like they might have a um, some kind of expectation and have never played the game before, uh, even though, you know, you've got to learn and, like you said, be ready mentally and uh, even read a book about certain games before you jump into them. Uh, they do say that practice is the best uh, experience you can get, but at the same time, I think when you're playing for your money, I think you need to pick other avenues, you know, maybe small, smaller games and things like that to learn the game that you're going to jump into. Mhm. You mentioned you mentioned the table image a few moments ago, and you know since we're having a lot of players that are coming from online play, they're not accustomed to live events. Why don't you tell everyone that's listening how important their table image is and what they can do to create a good strong table image? Well, yeah. I mean, you can't be locked in the stereotype. That's for sure. I've seen certain players sit down and they say, okay, oh, he's an older guy. He's not going to be raising me as much. But, you know, you can exploit those things. If you are that older guy, you can exploit it. And uh, to use that to your advantage. I watched a guy here at the final table yesterday who, you know, had that image. And, uh, you know, he seems bluff a lot more and get away with it than other players. So I think exploiting your table image. I mean, if you're a young guy, maybe you they think you're going to be too aggressive and, uh, you know, you want to be more passive. So I think you know, getting reverse tells and things like that are also very, very important. How do you think as how do you think a woman can take advantage of any stereotypes? Yeah, well, <laughs> I've seen that too. I mean, there's a lot of times women are playing and, and people don't play as hard against them. Uh, you know, playing hard against everybody is part of the game, and a lot of times you seem to pick up on ledges because you're a woman. I, I I'm sure you've seen it. I, I personally <laughs> haven't seen it myself, but I think I've seen people go, oh, I don't want to bet against you, uh, honey, and stuff like that, you know. And while, you know, that's not the best interest of the game, I have to watch that as a tournament director uh, because soft play is not allowed. Uh, I think you do get played a little easier if you're a woman. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yes, I'm a woman, but I'm a six-and-a-half-foot-tall woman. Yeah. And, when I, <laughs> and you know, that, that really affects the way that people play against me because I think they, they pretty much forget that I'm a woman pretty quickly. When I, sit down, when I walk up to the table, they go, well, that's a woman. And I keep walking up to the table, and they're going, crap, if they've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so it, really, it really does. It really does affect it, you know. And I wear my my biggirlpoker.com cap, my visor, and they'll look at that and they'll say, if they come at the table and they haven't seen me stand up, you know, if they come to the table and, and they haven't seen me and I'm sitting down, they'll look at the cap and they'll say, well, well, what's big girl poker? Somebody says, why don't you have her stand up and she'll show you what big girl poker is. <laughs> and they say, well, they say is big girl poker just for women? I say, no. You don't have don't have to be a woman to play big girl poker. You just have to leave your skirt at home. Ah, nice. Does that work? Does that work? You know, I've got 
I've got a confession that, that I want to make to you today because many years ago, I refused to learn pod odds because every time I pick up something about pod odds, it was somebody working the math so so convoluted that it was just really dis- it was just so disturbing I would go offline and, and I'm really good with with math but for some reason it just eluded me until I sat down with my husband Gregory who's the coach's coach and I said you got to teach me pot odds and he said well it's really simple it's not rocket science mm-hmm. and you know I found it it's really really easy you know once I plugged that hole in my game I mean my tournament wins just really exponentially increased my cash wins were just astonishing what I want to know is what you feel, you know, and I'm asking this because so many players are coming from online where they actually had a lot of the math done for them. How important is it for poker players to learn, really learn and understand pot odds so that they can really have them at their fingertips? Uh, I think it is important. I mean, it's a big part of the game. It's a skill that uh, not everybody has, and you say that to some people and they they look at you funny as if they don't know what you're talking about. So, obviously, if you have that in your arsenal, that's just one more thing that you have to beat other players. I do think it's important. Uh, I think it's, like I said, a huge part of the game. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think that learning any anything new, like pot odds, is important. Uh, if you're going to learn one or two new things every time you play, uh, as a beginning player, you're going to be up to speed pretty quickly. So, I just think it's a, just a necessary part of the game and just – Another thing that uh, people don't understand that, that probably should spend more time learning. You know, I think that's really interesting that you say that because you learn one or two new things every time you play because people start learning how to – they start coaching. They, they start getting frustrated because they feel like they have so many things to change. And one of the things I say is pick, pick something that you want to work on each game. Don't pick a bunch of things. Don't start making wholesale changes because you get too frustrated. Pick one thing, work on that. If you want to try something new, just pick one thing at a time. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It sure does. Let's talk about bankroll management because I know that, that people go into poker a lot of times and they don't really understand the concept of bankroll management. I want to talk about buy-in bankroll management, and then I also want to talk about Poker bankroll management in relationship to when you're in a tournament, how you consider your chips, your bankroll. So let's talk about, first of all, uh, bankroll management standpoint of your buy-ins. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times people say, you know, I have a $1,000 bankroll. I'm going to go play this $1,000 event. That's not the way it should be. You know, you should be, uh, in my opinion, you know, you should probably have like you do in in a cash game. If you're going to play a $200 event, uh, you should probably have a $2,000 bankroll, at least uh, 10 times your uh, tournament bankroll than, than you're buying or you're playing. Because if you don't, you know, you're not going to make it every time. You figure you're going to cash uh, one in 10 times, uh, you know, maybe a little better if you're a good player. Uh, so you have to plan ahead and, and be ready to, um, you know, take those swings. So I would say it's definitely at least 10 times the buy-in as a minimum your tournament bankroll and uh, probably 20 to 30 times more. Okay, and now let's talk about when you're in an event because I know that a lot of people have difficulty managing that bankroll, managing their chips. They, You see people who, who can acquire chips, but then they throw them off. They go up and they go down. They go up and they go down. Any tips for managing that your, your bankroll during your chips, your bankroll during a tournament? Yeah, I mean, like some of the best. Uh, some of the best I've ever seen, Antonio S. Fondiari, Mike Mizraki, 
for years and years had had jumped out to chip leads in tournaments on day one a and you know on day two and three you never saw them and they learned to uh flip that switch they still have that ability to to build up those chips as fast as they always did but i think they've learned to to uh change gears you know and if you are you know not getting any hands uh, you still need to sit back and and you know, not look at those nine, ten uh, suited, four or five suited, and think, you know, I haven't had a hand for a while. I got to play this one. So, I think um, you definitely have to the management throughout a single tournament as you do your normal bankroll. I think it's uh, managing your chips is just as important. And and I think that I find that another major hole in most poker players' game has to do with that they truly believe they're better at poker than they really are. One of the reasons is that they do not keep records or track. They don't keep track of their wins or losses. Um, how do you feel about this, and what should poker players do in relationship to tracking? Well, I mean, obviously, I think it's important. All of, all of the, the people that I know that are professional poker players have some method of tracking. Uh, you know, you've got to keep score of what you're doing. But, you know, on the management side of things, it's a little more difficult for a guy like me because, you know, you don't want people saying, well, look, I've played in X events and I've never cashed. You know, that may lead to him saying, you know, I'm not going to play anymore. So, for me, it's a delicate balance. And, uh, you know, we've mm-hmm. had issues with that. Uh, you know, a lot of times people say that they need, we should have some kind of system to tell players how many events they've played in and, you know, the percentage and their ROI, uh, of playing the tournament. And from a management standpoint, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So I have to be a little more delicate with what I say with that. But obviously I do believe that, that people keeping records is important. It never even occurred to me that someone would suggest that you all be responsible for keeping records. I think that's pretty ludicrous, personally. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had people ask, you know, what they, you know, with the World Poker Tour and stuff, that uh, you know, we have our website that tells people how many events they've played. And when you see a big goose egg next to their name, you know, how many times they've cashed, you know, it's pretty easy to tell, you know, how they've done in in the World Poker Tour. So we don't want it to be a negative. We want people to feel like uh, they still have a chance. And, you know, like I said, go to people like you and learn how to become better so they do have a better chance to, to be a part of that. Well, thank you. I was really proud. The first uh, WPT event that I played in at Foxwoods, um, gosh, it was probably 2005, I won my entry in a in a satellite, and I was I cashed. You know, I think I finished, it was about 900 players. I think I finished just into the cash, uh, about 95. First or 90th, some 89th, I think probably. But that was a that was a, a big deal for me, and and I was really proud of that. It, it made a lot. It really helped me with my with my confidence in my tournament game, um, and made me realize that that you know that I wanted I wanted to experience that. And I, I want, really want to tell you how much I appreciate the World Poker Tour. It has been so good for me. It's been good for the business. It's been good for poker. You know, it, it is one of the single single biggest factors in where we are in poker today. I mean, I remember that Wednesday in 2009 when WPT aired um, on on the Travel Channel. It, it was a, an astonishing day. I mean, it's a day when that I will remember forever. And I have had people tell me that, as a matter of fact, one of the men who had been an owner of, uh, I believe it was the American uh, uh, Cards, 
um, his wife did not like poker, even though he was a, his company made cards. She didn't like poker, but she walked through the house and saw that first night, and she stopped, and mm. she sat down, and she started watching, and she mm. didn't say a word for about half an hour, and she turned to him and she said, I can do that. Wow. Nice. Those are stories you like to hear. Sure. Yeah, it is. I just really want to thank you for that. Matt, what else would you would you like to share with uh with the listeners today before we leave? Um, you know, the one of the things you just talked about is caching in tournaments and you know, that's one of the things that uh is I think is a problem facing the tournament industry today is that, you know, with the invention of the reentry, it's something that we started here at the commerce four years ago, it's become rampant now. And I do truly believe that uh, tournament directors and the tours need to start paying a little bit more spots. You know, it's always been 8 9 10% on the top end, and I think that, uh, uh, you know, extending payouts, making them a little bit flatter, is going to be important for our future. I mean, like you said, when you cashed 89th, uh, you know, it was a big deal for you. And people cashing for their first time in some of these tournaments is a big deal for them, and it gives them an opportunity to, to feel like they – they can do it and, and take them to the next level, give them a little confidence. So if, you know, they were only paying, you know, 5 or 10% in, in the terms that you were playing or, you know, 8%, you might not have had that cash. So you might not have felt as good about it. So I do think paying a few more spots is something that the, the, the industry needs to go yeah, that in that direction. Um, and we're doing it here at the LAPC. And, uh, you know, a lot of the top players, while they don't like it, other players, you know, are happy to, be standing at that payout window. So, uh, it's something I would like to see, and well, I hope it, it continues that way. I like that. Anything else you'd like to add? You know, here's here's a place that you can scream it out. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Just uh, you know, keep a, keep an eye on the World Poker Tour schedule. I mean, we're here at the LAPC until the end of March, and then heading up to Day 101 for uh, the Shooting Star, which is my favorite event of the year. So, always like to see people out at our events and stop by and say hello to me anytime, and and. Tell me a bad beat, even. I'll listen to one. Oh, no. You'll listen to a bad beat? <laughs> yeah, I listen to one. I always listen to one from everybody. I tell, them they, I tell them they have to give me 25 bucks to listen to a bad beat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, I listen. I think people appreciate it. I may not be, you know, I not, might not be remember it uh, 10 seconds later, but I will listen. Or at least give the impression that I am. Well, one of the things that I have to share with my coaching clients is that what they believe and what they have been telling themselves is a bad beat most of the time is not a bad beat because, as you right. and I know, having quads beaten is a bad beat. You know, having a straight flush beaten is a bad beat. But most of the time when people talk about bad beats, it's not a bad beat. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It isn't. I mean, it's. I love the, the stories. That go, I had four or five of clubs, you know, and then the, – <laughs> I love those stories. I called a raise, and then, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and then, usually they've changed quite a bit by the time they've gotten to me also. So. <laughs> okay. Well, Matt Savage, I want to thank you so much for being with me today, and I want to say that this is Donna Blevins, your Poker Mindset Coach. We will see you next time.